This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello there, it's Jamila Jamil. Are you by any chance listening to this podcast promo while out on a walk? If so, good for you. That's going to make both your mind and your body feel better. On my podcast, I Weigh, this month, we're going to be exploring mental health and talking to amazing guests about other things that you can do to make yourself feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone and welcome to Unspooled Summer, Summer Wrap Up. Wrap up. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I was not prepared for singing, but I did it anyway because I love summer movies. Amy, uh, I love an episode like this. This is an episode where we are taking a break from our normally scheduled programming to talk about some of the movies that we loved during the summer. We did an episode a few months ago talking about some of the first big summer movies. Summer movies were back. Now they have, I think, leveled off again. You know, I think that Top Gun Maverick was number one at the box office, like multiple weeks after it had come out. Like, I think two weeks ago, it was still number one at the box office. So it's been a weird summer. You did it. You did it. You did it, Tom Cruise. Now you can go back to chasing awards movies. It's award season, which means it's summer wrap-up time. That's right. Summer wrap-up time. We're just going to hit some of the movies that we think you should check out if you haven't checked out. And most of these movies are currently on video on demand. So you can watch them, uh, not in a crowded theater, but from the comfort of your own home. So if you've missed some summer movies, if you don't feel comfortable going back into the cinema, here are some movies that we have uh, been enjoying. So, Amy, uh, let's start off with Nope. There's something out here. Yeah, no, no, no. Nope. 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 Mm-mm. Nah. No. 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 Nope. Hell no. Nope uh, is Jordan Peele's third feature film, and I really, really enjoyed it. As 
did I. I I have been a little, I think, hard on Jordan Peele's first two films. Hard on him, but I think I am in the way where you can tell somebody is brilliant and they're going to be very important. And they haven't, to me, done the movie that I think signifies how brilliant they are. Because my issue with Get Out was I thought it was a really great idea they kind of couched in a lot of nods to other films that he loved, it, which kept it from feeling totally original to me. Nope is head to tail original. Nope feels like completely purely from the brain of Jordan Peele. He doesn't need to make any nods to other horror films to sort of defend his right to be in the pantheon. This is him just saying, this is my type of alien story. This is my type of history. This is my type of world that I'm creating. And I had loved this film. It is far and away my favorite Jordan Peele film. You know, we're not going to be talking about any spoilers, but I do want to just say that one of the things I read that a lot of people liked, but also it's one of the things that people didn't like, was that the movie didn't try to explain itself. It just was. And people were saying that... It had a that, confidence, I think, in that yes. to me. No, I agree with that too. I think that this idea of wanting to know everything sometimes takes away from the special nature of these things. Like we don't need to know where the alien from the thing came from to enjoy the thing. We just have to understand that it's there and this is how they're going to attack it. Um, And I think that we've been so deeply put into this world of grounding things and prequels that we aren't just enjoying a pure, bizarre horror. I think a movie like Malignant is a great example of just like, no, let's just have fun. We don't have to make it all make sense. It should just be a fun experience. And I think if you look at Nope like that and aren't looking for, well, what, you know, what does it all mean? And tell me exactly what I just saw. You're going to be really happy. I think maybe going into it, knowing that you're not going to get that will be better for some people than others. Well, right, because I think there's kind of a few things going on inside. No, like one, it is a story about a mysterious occurrence about like living, you know, outside of Los Angeles on a horse farm, seeing a cloud in the sky that is not moving. And you're not like some, oh, I'm just some meteorologist who happens to live here. You're not like especially equipped to be a person who understands strange clouds. You're, you know, a quiet man who lives with horses and his sister, you know, this Daniel Kluwe and Kiki Palmer, who's like, a little loud, a little bit of a mess. And they're just being real people dealing with a very bizarre phenomenon the best they can with the limitations of that. There's something almost kind of close encounters-y about that. What do you do when the supernatural comes to you and you just have to make do? Here it is. We're going we're gonna to go to the electronic store and figure this out as best we can. By the way, it's Brandon so much- Pereira, who plays the Best Buy or actually the Fry's Electronics employee who gets wrapped up in this is is just wonderful in this movie. I mean, he is really just incredibly funny, as is Stephen Yuen. Like, I also feel like this movie has so much humor in it, and it's really grounded, interesting, like, character portrayals. Like, it, it is, I think, for people who love Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, Like the characters here really pop in very different ways. They're weird. They're funny. Um, They feel like they have a history, the way that they talk to each other, the way they get along. They they feel like they're getting along the way actual people would if they're thrust in this situation. 
Kiki Palmer's so funny in this. Well, by the way, a lot of people have talked about Kiki Palmer and they're like, she is the next big thing. And I hadn't been that familiar with really what she had done or I hadn't felt like, why is everybody feeling like this? I don't know. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, yeah, I got it. Like, she's fantastic. She is legitimately just a superstar. Like, whatever that is, she carries every moment that she's on screen. And she's doing that against Daniel Kaluuya, who I think is also wonderful. And the whole movie, it just, I want to watch these characters. I'm enjoying watching this world that they've built, a world that, you know, experiences some big things. And I think that I love hearing Jordan Peele talk about going back into this world, exploring it a little bit, maybe blowing it out. It There's plenty of room for it. Well, yeah, and what I appreciate about Jordan Peele as just a craftsman in this movie is the things he's kind of layering on top of each other, that this is a movie that's also about, you know, the history of cinema, the history of cinema tracing back to the very first man who was ever photographed on cinema, who who is like in this movie, like Daniel Kaluuya's uh, great-grandfather, this history of like, you know, Black filmmakers being a part of cinema, of the story, and like, how do you cling on to your legacy that way? Like, how can this family continue to feel respected in an industry that they've been in from the very beginning? I love that that's all in here. I love that this is a movie about just like, what do you do when you're grappling with something just animalistic that's like beyond your comprehension? This film has a built-in subplot that's like a flashback to something that happens on a TV set involving a chimpanzee. And those scenes, they're filmed so terrifyingly. And this is kind of Stephen Young's arc is like, what do you do when like as a child you confronted this force in your face? Can you pretend that you can control it? Can you make it into part of why you're famous? Can you at all fix your trauma from being around a murderous animal by being around another giant thing that you don't understand. Like well, I think there's this the repeating idea... in there of like, how do you deal with like unexplained phenomena that shape your life? Well, I think the idea is feeling in control of something that you have no control over. Right. And I think that you can look at that from the profession. I think you can look at that through Stephen Yuen's story. I think you can look at that through, uh, you know, hey, Daniel Kaluuya. It's horses, it's clouds, it's monkeys, it's everything. It's the business of Hollywood. It's stunts. Yeah. It's, you know, it, there are so many things at play. And I love that idea. Like thematically, you know, coming out of COVID too, we just lived something like that. How do you, how do you live in a world where you really have no control, where the the world kind of dictated something differently than anyone had expected. So I, I love that that's the bigger overarching theme. It's not like, oh, no, here's a scary guy with a mask on with a knife. You know, Jordan is making these movies that are, I think, getting more interesting and thematically daunting. The same way that you would talk about Kubrick talking about, like, what isolation does and what these lar- like these larger scary elements of life Uh, Yes, and they are personified through horror movie tropes, but they also are dealing with, I think, more interesting concepts. Every one of his films has done that in some degree. And I I think, you know, to in many ways, this might be the best execution of that, even though I think some people wanted something a little bit more straightforward. And that may be to your point with your get out issues, you know, the benefit and deficit of doing something that's such a down, you know, down the line fastball. Like that movie is, I love that movie. I think it's great. I think it's, again, funny, well acted, really cool concept. 
but also you run that line of, do you set people up to be like, oh, I need to know the answers or I want something like that. But I think you're going to find people who just want to go on the journey with him. I agree. And I just want to say, like, I think Daniel Kaluuya, his performance in this is, I mean, A, it's like so different from his character in Get Out, you know, who is sort of, he could be funny, he could be charming, he was louder, he was, you know, more of an ordinary guy that you might just get to know, like a Mm -hmm. friend that you would know and that movie was happening to him. Otis, the character he plays here, is so withdrawn, so quiet, you know, so sort of leaning back on his heels, appraising situations, tough outer shell, a guy that like warms up to you, almost like the way, you know, a horse warms up to you really slowly at its own pace. And he embodies him just so fully, so physically. Like it, it's his range, like always impresses me. And I love seeing like just the same actor deal with the same director and then pull out a completely different performance from him. Absolutely. So, I, I, I agree. Uh, and just a shout out to the amazing wardrobe in the film, because like you said, uh, Daniel Kluwa comes from a family of animal trainers and there are some great uh, homages to classic films. And I w- I'm thinking most uh, specifically of a Scorpion King uh, hoodie <laughs> that is a very prominent part of the film. But uh, yeah. it really feels like fun a movie, movie about Hollywood that really knows Hollywood. You know, yes, a lot of movies that say they're inside... about Hollywood don't feel that real. This one actually feels like realer than real. I mean, and, yeah. without breaking anything, there is a monologue that Stephen Yuen does that is about the business, about something very specific that is one of the funniest monologues in its sincerity, in the way it's written. It's just, it's great. That that movie, and I think that it's all these different levels that really make this movie work. The more I think about this movie, the more I like it. I enjoyed it yeah. in, the, in, in the theater and it sticks with me a lot. I agree. And I just really appreciate that Jordan Peele now has his feet so firmly planted that he allows there to be mystery. He allows there to room for us to piece together what he's saying, you know, and and that takes confidence. That is like next level confidence that he's got now. That's awesome. If I have any quibble, it's just like at the very end, the score gets kind of generic, exciting to me. And I'm like, "Eh, doesn't fit. But well, also, I don't know if you saw this in a the theater or not. When I saw this in a the theater yeah. and somebody says nope for the first time, the whole place oh, exploded. Yeah. So that was that was wonderful. Well, I just also want to talk about one thing. We talk a lot about this in the show, about changing the game. So Jordan Peele and his cinematographer, Hoyt Van Hoytema, just talked about this at the Toronto Film Festival. You know, a lot of nope is looking into the night sky. But when you shoot the night sky with a regular camera, it it just doesn't look as beautiful as it is to the human eye. So Jordan and Hoyt were trying to figure out how do we photograph this night sky because it's such a crucial part of the movie and make it look good. And I think if you remember back in the day, like you would see these 70s movies or 80s movies where it's night, but they're shooting during the middle of the day, but it just looks like they put a lens over it, like a filter. But here they kind of did the same thing. And uh, Jordan revealed for the first time that they shot all their night scenes during the day. And the way that they did it was they used two different cameras, one that shot infrared light with a narrow bandwidth and one that captured 70 millimeter film. And they would overlay the images uh, with the infrared capturing how people's eyes respond to darkness and light at nighttime. And that's how some of these shots uh, really pop, 
it opens up our eyes to even more things that we can see in films. It's really, really cool. It is. And also R.I.P. Fries. I'm glad Fries was captured on film yes. before it closed. Because that store was enchanting. Shout out to my best friend, well, Eva, who been. took me to a Fries to see what it was because I didn't know that it was special. I just thought it was an electronics oh, store. And, and it, lo- has... it looks like that in the film. Oh, yeah. Fries is amazing. Fries is a very specific uh, kind of like a mom and pop Best Buy out here that had like it was like going to Universal Studios, but it was an electronics store. And you, you see it in the film, but it is a real place. It has been closed for a while. And they they kind of recreated it for this film. And I love that 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 fries still exists in this world. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations... I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we talked a lot about performances. And Amy, I got to tell you, I recently saw Elvis. I didn't see it in the theater. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. And I am blown away by the performance of Austin Butler. In that moment, Elvis forgot was born. We're going to do something different. I mean, whoa. First of all, this movie, I was dragging my feet. I'll be very honest. I was dragging my feet about seeing Elvis, and I don't know why. It just didn't feel like I'm not the biggest Elvis fan. And I'm also like, what what is this going to be? And just like fucking Moulin Rouge, the minute that movie starts up, you are in this world, this like kind (laughs) of just dreamscape musical insanity, but it's all held together by Austin Butler's performance, which I think is truly outstanding. I know what Rami Malek got so much attention for what he did in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, but this performance. (laughs) Yes. I mean, look, I mean, it's it's no turn Edgerton is Elton John uh, is what I'll say about Rami Malek. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. I was going to say Austin Butler. I don't want to hear any negative Austin Butler uh, sentiment because I really do believe it's hard to be the center of a movie of a director like Baz Luhrmann because there's so much going on. And for him to ground it in a character who is larger than life and the way that he 
transformed throughout the movie in a way. I mean, this is not I've heard many people say, oh, it's a real biopic. It's not. I mean, we we can argue it's I mean, it hits moments, but this is no one should be writing a book report based on this. I mean, this oh, is no. a mystical. This is like a like a, a Pinocchio story in a way like it, it's it's magical on so many levels. Um, and I've talked to so many people who've said, no, 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 it's it, it's like a pretty right on the money biopic. It's like, mm. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a well, that's the thing about Elvis is like you can make this is a man whose life was so big and whose like footprint as a pop culture figure is so huge that I feel like you could make 50 movies about him and they would all be like radically different. You know, there's just so many angles to Elvis and who he was. I say this as a person who really loves Elvis, as a person who like cried when I went to Graceland, was not expecting to cry when I went to Graceland. But, you know, you go you walk through his life in a way when you go to Graceland and at the end you come to his grave and his grave of his twin brother who died when he was a baby. And I just burst into tears. And I I, I adore Elvis for that for that reason. He's out to me when I was a child. There were only a few pop culture figures who were larger than life. And Elvis was the only one who was already dead by that time. Mm. Um, and like was still so huge. Also John Lennon to an extent. But like, you know, the other Beatles were still there. Elvis Elvis died before he was born. And he's still been one of the most famous people I feel like has ever walked the planet of Earth. And yeah, to your point about Austin Butler, think about the actors who have tried to play Elvis in the past. It's like heavy hitters. It's Kurt Russell. We've got Jonathan Reese Myers. We've got my favorite actor, Michael Shannon. They've all tried to do Elvis. And I think Austin Butler's Elvis is better, which really surprised me. Because when I first heard he was cast, I was like, yeah, he doesn't even look like Elvis. That's kind of yeah. weird. Okay, we'll see. But he gets his inside of Elvis. He gets the way that, like, Elvis just makes people lose his mind. Like, there's something about Elvis that I think was inarticulate and impossible to explain even when you are Elvis yourself. You know, I just saw like the new gigantic epic like David Bowie documentary, Moon Age Daydream. And, you know, Bowie is a guy who could articulate what interested him from every minute of his life and talk about his artistic quest. And what I felt like Elvis was about is about the fact that he never got to be that person. To me, it's like a movie where Baz is interested in the angle of like Elvis as the frustrated artist. Like, He's this magpie kind of figure. Like he collects music from here. He collects body movements from here. You see him kind of like observing the black culture that he grew up around in the R&B singers and the preachers and kind of folding them into who he was. But as he gets older, you realize that like he's surrounded by, you know, Tom Hanks's colonel who isn't interested in who he is as an artist. And it's like he senses, it's like Elvis in this movie senses the need to grow and find new challenges but he can't articulate that. And he's surrounded by people who don't think that's important and he never gets to do it in that it's, it's strange. Like to, to feel like Elvis is bigger than any artist of my lifetime. And yet watching this movie, I felt a sense of loss. Like he's the biggest that ever was, but he could have been even bigger if he wasn't surrounded by all these small men. Yeah. It, well, that I mean, it broke this, my heart th talking about thematic elements here too. It's this movie is about like the corruption, right? It, it's about, you know, it's all told through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker or, you know, that's our narrator, you know, yeah. as he is dying. And wow, as as much as Austin Butler gives this grounded, beautiful performance as Elvis, I got to also give it up for Tom Hanks doing the most mustache twirly, insane, giant performance ever of a villain. Like this is a 
I don't know if I think it's terrible or I think it's great. Like, I think he created something that was such a risky and bold thing. I haven't seen Tom Hanks do anything like this. I can't even I can't even remember when I haven't, you know, so Tom Hanks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost topped by how bad he is as Geppetto in the new movie that came out. (laughs) But at least the colonel knows he's do he's he's not good. Well, there is something about Geppetto. I was thinking about this with Pinocchio because, you know, Pinocchio is very much the story of Elvis, right? It's it's Colonel Tom Parker wants to create something you know, uh, that fills this need in him. I guess, I guess maybe it's more like, um, maybe it's not Pinocchio as much as it's the story of Stromboli, right? It's like, I see this thing, I want to capture it and I want to harness it and then make money from it. And I, and I, I was thinking about that a lot because this movie is about a snowman, right? A person who makes snow, right? Not show, but, uh, snow that like, can convince you that the whole movie is told through that, that lens is like, how can you, basically keeps someone locked in a cage, you know, and that's what he does. And he's able to, uh, you know, make him the biggest star, but he has his hands firmly, you know, on his shoulders the entire time until, you know, Elvis finally fights out. But at that point it was too late and it's, everything is kind of destroyed by this, by this man, this leech. And, um, and this idea that Elvis almost doesn't even know how, powerful he is i mean this movie feels like it's a little bit about like big dick energy but then Mm. what happens when like big dick energy is surrounded by tiny little dicks who convince the big dick that they're nothing the way his like dad is undermining him throughout this whole thing the way nobody ever let him think big his idea of thinking big was always small because everybody around him also thought small and like how wild is it that he is to me like the figure of a global superstar and i didn't realize that he never even went abroad like, he never even went to London, that he only I left know. the country once in his life to play three concerts, and they were all in Canada. Like, imagine if Elvis had gotten to go to India to find himself the way the Beatles did. Like, that that's sort of what I was thinking watching this movie, is like, all the Elvises he never got to be. Like, yes, he was big Elvis and little Elvis and black leather Elvis and rhinestone Elvis and jeans Elvis, but he never got to chase creative soul Elvis and that made no, me just well, unbearably he was, sad. He, like, this movie is a giant what if. And I think that what is amazing about this story, and probably to most people who are not Elvis aficionados, they don't know the story of Colonel Tom Parker and what Colonel Tom Parker did. And, and this that is a true part of this story. I think that's probably the truest part that the entire movie has, which is how he held on to him. I think they make him a magical figure. But what this movie really does is show you that Elvis wasn't living this hard and fast rock star life. He was a puppet that was used up and spit out. And the, like you said, the big, the small Elvis, the drug addicted Elvis, the, 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 um, the uh, Elvis that's uh, full of anxiety that someone's trying to kill him is all an invention. Like he got in his head, he corrupted him. And this movie is a giant. What if when you get out, I think you think, Oh my God, what could it have been if they didn't even try to make that many movies? You know, but it was like, no, we make more like Colonel Tom Parker cashed in every single chip. So when you look at Elvis, yes, he's the biggest star of all time or was for a long time. And that was because uh, Colonel Tom Parker, but also it diluted everything and it beca- and it washed him out. And I think that we always think of Elvis doing that to himself, but he didn't. And I think that that's 
a very interesting way to attack the story and it makes it more interesting. It makes it, it's not a biopic. It is a biopic, but it's told with, I think, a lens that lets you look at Elvis in a completely different way, which makes it way more exciting. It's a long movie. It's a big movie. The performances are great. The style of it is amazing. The recreations are stunning. Um, and I think that like everyone's, everyone is, I mean, I don't know. I have yet to not like a Boz Lerman movie, I guess. I should learn my lesson. I'm trying to be like, I don't think I'd like Australia, but maybe I should see it again. Maybe I should see that again. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I haven't, that didn't come to the top of my mind. So maybe I could put that there. I will also also say this. Uh, Austin Butler has a very Val Kilmery kind of thing going on. I kept on thinking about Top Secret, which I love, which is kind of like an homage to Elvis films as well. But like, there is something about uh, the two of them kind of creating this. I mean, I was thinking about the way that uh, Val Kilmer created uh, Jim Morrison, or I think a lot of people's Mm -hmm. memory of him. But there's enough. I guess what I think about both of those performances is that there's enough acting that they are not just doing an impression of them. And I think that that's really interesting. It's like, yes, he doesn't look exactly like Elvis, but he's not like fully doing an Elvis where you're like, oh, that's just an impression. It's like, it's a it performance. It's a performance, not an impression, I guess is what I would yeah. say. Yeah, he's inside him, it feels like. And, it, and inside him in a way where it, the exterior is allowed to be different. I mean, I don't think Elvis went around wearing like see-through black lace shirts all the time. But this movie makes you feel like he must have because that's the way Austin Butler wears those shirts. It just looks absolutely natural in him to be wearing black lace mesh. And, and I appreciate way- that it made him feel dangerous again because I think I've, I have never quite understood why people were so scared of Elvis in the 50s because to me he was like – you know, his swiveling hips were like on a watch, on like clocks when I was a kid. It was yeah. like a swiveling yeah. Elvis clock. And the idea that his swiveling hips were so terrifying to the establishment seemed silly to me. Just like, oh, really? How funny. And this movie made me understand part of that. It made me understand at least like how men watching his effect on women were absolutely like, we must destroy this man and his power. I think you're totally right. It demystifies things that we take for granted about Elvis. And I think that is a really uh, smart take. I just think it was really well done. And I'm happy to see Tom Hanks doing something insane. And sometimes it felt like I was watching Tom Hanks. And sometimes it felt like I was watching this Muppet and this big, bold choice. But uh, it really is, from the minute it starts, you're just on this journey. And it's unfolding and it's a roller coaster ride. It really... I went in not wanting to watch it at all, and I was I I watched it all in one sitting. Not that, you know, that's a huge accomplishment, but I was just like I. I you watched a whole movie all by yourself in one I did. sitting. You know what it is like. Sometimes I'm, like, so I'm dragging my feet. Like <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll stop it. I'll get yeah. up. I'll get a snack. I just was like I couldn't turn it off. Um, and I right. will say I, I also want to add like I've always thought that it has been impossible for any actor to do you know three people like. Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, and James Dean. Like, so many mm-hmm. actors have tried. So many actors have washed them their bodies upon the rocks. I'm proud of Austin Butler for, I think, pulling it off the best. And I have seen Blonde, the new Marilyn Monroe movie with Ana de Armos. And I think the script is a bit of a disaster. But the movie looks pretty. And I will say, Ana kind of does it. There's, like, some mm. stuff of I would have wanted to see Marilyn do that the script doesn't let her do. That's not there. But... There were moments watching that film where I wasn't sure if I was watching Marilyn or Anna, which is wild because they also let her mostly keep her Cuban accent. And there's like, deal with it. 
it's kind of a deal with it. I love the way, that. Like his shirts are like Elvis's shirts are a deal with it. It's like there is something in these actors that pulls it off, despite in in Blonde's case, a lot of things in the movie letting him down. Um, now I I would be remiss if we didn't talk about a movie that I really really loved. And we're talking about something that's hard to do, right? Uh, an impression of a, a classic character. Well, what about a remake of a classic movie villain? And I believe that Prey is, if not the best Predator, the second best Predator movie uh, made. Wow, this movie is great. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky. I'm ready. There's something out there. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? Whatever did this, I can kill it. Pray, rated R, streaming soon, only on Hulu. I adored it. It was gorgeous. It was scary. It was fun. It was my first Predator movie. I will admit that is my giant blind spot. And I was thinking like... Do I need to watch other Predator movies? Because this one's so good. Well, you know, the first movie is such a Schwarzenegger at its prime film that it's it is as much a Schwarzenegger film as it is a Predator film. But it really works because it's a great it's a great fun movie. It's a great big fun action movie, you know, and because it's so good, that's why it spawned all these sequels. But I think Dan Trachtenberg did something really interesting with this. Um, I love Dan Trachtenberg. He made 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, which I think is uh, a, a great, uh, another great uh, kind of fun movie, an underrated uh, film. But I did here, not love that film, but I'm glad you love it. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. I'm going to talk about that at one point. Um, but Prey, I think, does something really cool because they they set it back in North America in 1719. And it is a story about... Um, these Native Americans who lived, you know, lived here and arguably experienced the predator first. Um, and it's a real David and Goliath story. And I think you can say, well, all the predator movies are David and Goliath because predator is Goliath. But when you look like Schwarzenegger, you really can't be a David. Like, yes, you are a David, but you're not really a David. You got too many muscles going on. You're like, people would be rooting for you, but this is, this uh, amazing girl, Amber Midthunder. Uh, she feels like a star. She feels like such oh, a star. Amazing. And you're following her wanting to get the respect of her family, do this idea of hunting something that could hunt you, right? That's This is like the rite of passage in her family or in her tribe. And then she has the ultimate uh, hunt. I mean, my God, this movie is so... I don't want to... Don't want to spoil anything more than saying it's a great, fun, big, giant action movie that I think uh, does the same thing we just said that Elvis did. Like, kind of twists it up. What we want to see gives you everything we want to see, but also leaves you feeling like you just saw something that was uh, a little bit more than what we have been getting from the Predator series. I agree. Highly recommend. And also for talking about throwbacks, can I say how much I loved the Beavis and Butthead movie that came out this summer? Oh my gosh, that was great. (gasps) Look at that number up there on the billboard. There's a two and then um, some kind of circle. No, dumbass, not that number. That one. 69. (laughs) This show sucks. 
like just these fat people standing there. I am Corholio! I need TV for my bunkers! Who are you, fart knockers? Amusing, yes. Yes, humorous, yes. Satirical comment on the time. Yes, amusing. <laughs> I that love was this. Marvelous. If you don't know about this, it's uh, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. It's uh, came out exclusively on Paramount Plus. It was kind of the unofficial launch of the brand new Beavis and Butthead series, which is equally hilarious. And it's truly as if Mike Judge has not missed a beat with these characters since like the '90s. They are perfect. He figured out a way to keep them in 2022 without losing them from 1996. Yeah, I you mean, know? their core is like they're ignorant. They're incurious. They're just obsessed with sex and fire and kicking each other in the nuts. There's something so stubbornly stupid about them that I think it's great updated in the future because their stubbornness and not and an inability to change or register is like the joke. I mean, they go through like this whole space adventure in this movie. And I would say Beavis and Butthead never really notice what's happening to them at all. It's just like a contagiously dumb movie about guys kind of tripping through an adventure. They're, they're, they are not role models. They will never be role models. They are mouth-breathing breathing sociopathic dorks. And it, the movie even lets us get a, a flash of like what their lives would be, you know, if we flash forward from the 90s to like 2022. Um and, you know, it would be sad if if they understood how sad it was. They kind of just don't. They are, they're in a world, in a world, in a world where we have to deepen all of our characters. The refusal of Mike Judge to make them deeper in the slightest makes them deeper to me. I was yes, having there's such no, a blast. There's no true, like, reboot, right? It, it's no. just a continuation. And it's like, they're not trying to do anything different. And that's... Honestly, why I love it so much. I think it really works because of that. Yeah, it is gloriously idiotic. And I don't know about you. I lost my mind in the opening because the very, 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 very opening is like Beavis and Butthead in 3D animation, like zipping through space like yes. in the Star Wars style shootout. And I was so scared. Like, don't make this the movie. Please don't make this the movie. Please don't make this the movie. And then as soon as the credits over, they are back to being 2D. And I was like, thank you. This is just the glorious idiocy that I love. Of course, the ball. You know, I have to see so much of everything, so much nonsense. I'm curious. Did you get a chance to see Black Phone? I the, like, did. I yeah. did. You don't have to be scared. On that, I give my word. Hello. Hang up the phone. You are special. I'll show you. I'll scratch your face. This face. <laughs> the Black Phone, rated R. I think I'm mixed on Black Phone. Really? Yes. I really like Ethan Hawke in it. I thought the style was cool. I just, I don't know. Maybe it was because I didn't see it in a theater. It, it just was like, okay, I got it. Like, it didn't, it didn't, um... I thought the opening was great. It had a great opening. And I like Scott Derrickson. So I don't know. I feel like I'm I am alone uh in this opinion. I didn't it didn't work for me the way that I would want it to work for me, but I recognize why it was done well and I don't even know what I didn't like. I just didn't it wasn't it wasn't as propulsive or it didn't like keep me leaning forward, I guess. I mean, that's fair. Like, I like this team a lot. 
you know, mm-hmm. like Scott Derrickson directing it, uh, Robert Cargill writing it, Ethan Hawke starring in it. I mean, these are the guys who made like Sinister. And the setting, I think, is wonderful. Like going back to the 70s and having this like horror movie take place there because it really felt like going back in time to when it was more okay for kids to wander around the streets and get into trouble and show up late at night and, you know, not have anybody ask where they were. And I, I think I romanticized that feeling a lot, this kind of freedom that like adults aren't there looking out for kids. And I think this movie really got that. And then also got, you know, well, there's a guy named the grabber and he is looking out for kids and it's Ethan Hawke in a creepy mask and he will get you. And, you know, I think the film is pretty straightforward uh, in what happens after that. But I, I like that it's sort of, you know, how do you grow into a man? How do you grow into rescue you? You know, like, uh, there's stuff in there that I like that I almost wanted more of. Like James Ransom is in there as like this like kind of coke snorting conspiracy theorist who wants to crack the case of the grabber. And I loved him in that. And I was like, I want more. I want more of that. I want more of Hawk. I want more of everything. Um, so I guess in a way this movie almost just felt like a tease. I liked so many stuff. I was like, give me more of this. Even more, please. Yeah, and that I think that's where I... Again, I liked a lot of the trappings of it. I just felt like, okay... Like it, like the opening, I wanted it maybe to be scarier, but I also really appreciated, I don't know. It just, I probably wouldn't go back and watch it again, but I, I'm happy that this is the movie that we get from Scott Derrickson because he doesn't make Dr. Strange into the multiverse. Cause he was the original director before uh, Raimi came on. And, uh, I like that this is him making his own film and it, and it is a very, you know, whatever, teach their own. I think horror movies sometimes work like that. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people listen to the show, their parents, they might want to know like, oh, what's a good movie I can watch with my kids? We've talked about this a lot. Uh, there are a few that came out this year. Uh, Minions, Rise of Gru, Super Pets, and Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank. Now, I got to say, if you put all three of those on the table for me, the movie that I'm picking is Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank. Uh, I, I, I'm surprising myself. Uh, it's directed by Rob Minkoff. If you are a Beverly Hills uh, Housewives uh, fan, you know Rob. Rob is married to one of the uh, Housewives. Uh, and uh, and I really enjoyed this movie. It's kind of a redo of Blazing Saddles. And uh, very much so that even um, Mel Brooks is a uh, producer on it. He, you know, it, it's a, a willing remake. and has Michael Sarah and Sam Jackson, Ricky Gervais, uh, George Takei. It just made me laugh. It made our family laugh a lot. And then speaking of that, I'll say the third Minions movie or the fifth Minions movie, wherever you want to count, the Minions Rise of Gru, we were so looking forward to that. And here's what I'll say about it, because I just was listening to it in the car this morning on the way here, because we have a DVD player in the car. Um, I really appreciate those movies. I think that Minions is a very funny movie, the movie Minions. I am less a fan of the Despicable Me movies, and but I really like this movie. I just don't think it's funny. I think it's watchable and engaging, and I'm engaged by it, but I don't think it's funny. I don't, like, I'm not like, oh, I love that sequence, that bit. Michelle Yeoh is in it. She's great. Uh, of course, uh, for you Better Call Saul fans, you have Jonathan Banks uh, as, like, the bad guy that Steve, uh, Steve Carell learns from. I like it. It's good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, but it's not to me is my second favorite. 
And my third favorite is the movie that you and I both saw. You saw it for $3 movie day, but you in the theater saw Super Pets. I saw it opening night at the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> I was there uh, with a large group of people. And I think the only reason why I'm saying it's my third pick is uh, I really liked the cast. I thought it was really fun. I I felt like it was kind of stuck in this middle ground between being like a full-out comedy and a kid's movie. I had a little bit of an issue with the movie in the sense that um, Natasha Leone is in this movie. She's very funny, but she curses a lot in the movie and they bleep it, which I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Am I like, can should you be cursing in a kid's like? I don't know. Maybe it's fine, but it was like I thought it was like a bold choice to be cursing in these movies uh, for kids. Uh, I mean, not being a child or a parent, I thought it was wonderful. She plays like an oversexed or over over lusty ancient turtle. Yes, it, to be not, Natasha Leone, horny turtle, golden, golden. That's what I like. Kate McKinnon, hairless gerbil, obsessed with with um, Lex Luthor. Great. Absolutely I, I, great. Oh, no, I called her a gerbil. She's a guinea pig. Now I'm going to yes. get, like, killed. But yes. <laughs> but no, I think, I look, I uh, I enjoyed, I I will say, in a summer of family-friendly films, I enjoyed all of these movies. I just am ranking them a little bit more. I think that Did I... Did you see the Sea Beast? No, I have not seen the Sea Beast, and I heard that that's actually great. I heard that that's one of the best ones. It gets so, better. It gets better. Like, at first okay. I was like, eh! And then I, I really found myself sucked into it. But yeah, I just think that like sometimes I want these kids movies to like go for it. And I and and I don't know why. And because it's the least highest rated film that I talked about. But um, that, you know, Pause of Fury, I felt had a lot more like joke, 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 joke. And was making my kids go crazy. I also think that my kids reaction to films rub off on me. And that is the order in which I enjoyed because when they're laughing, I am right next to them and I'm having a great time too. So that in laugh order, that's how it went down in my family. I will watch pause of fury for you. All right. I don't know. I mean, look, you should watch it next to my son and maybe you would uh, change the, the experience. Uh, but then but your that... son's just going to argue basketball at me. And then what am I going to do? <laughs> no, he would. No, you watch it with my other son who has a, who's a little <laughs> different. My, um, but, uh, but I'll say this. There's a bunch of movies out there that I haven't seen yet that I really want to see. I really want to see bodies, bodies, bodies. I want to see uh, vengeance. I haven't seen Marcel the shell yet. Um, and uh, look, there's a plenty more things coming out on VOD. We have not made it to the theater as much as we wanted to this summer, but uh, I'm excited to get there and see more. Oh, it's going to be good. And it's going to be a good fall season. I'll just say, go see Barbarian. Oh, cannot wait. <laughs> cannot wait. And that is all I will say about that film until anybody else sees it. That's okay, the great. Way it should go. I would love to have that conversation, especially during our month of horror. Uh, if you've not been listening to the show, you know that we are coming up into a month of horror films. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Sorry, Amy, let's keep on doing these. I like these like little uh, theater wrap ups, a uh, little taste, little uh, hors d'oeuvre, if you will, of uh, of movies that you should see. Not full discussions, just, you know. Exactly. All right, we will see you next time on Unspooled Summer Wrap Up. Wrap. 